for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint. You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
And welcome back, everybody, opening up the second hour of our three-hour tour with music by All Day Monday. That was Crane, the title track from uh, their CD. And um, singer-songwriter uh, M. Burns and members of uh, All Day Monday will be joining us uh, in the third hour of our three-hour tour today to kick your weekend off early with uh, a little uh, conversation with local musicians we may even hear a couple of uh we're going to hear some more music from all day monday to be sure um and possibly some uh, performances that they did live in our studio back in the day coming up uh in just a couple of minutes we're going to go to dublin and talk with uh, author owen colfer he is the creator of the artemis Fowl series. He has started a new series, a spin-off series, if you will, about the Fowl twins, Artemis Fowl's younger brothers. And we're going to talk about that and a lot more with uh, Owen Colfer uh, coming up in uh, in just a few minutes, and then we'll we'll get into. Uh, and I'm not sure who's going to be with uh, with M Burns on the show today from All Day Monday. I know on the recording we just heard. It was uh, M. Burns on guitar and vocals, uh, Micah McCauley on drums, and Tam Pendleton on bass. I think that's pretty much the lineup that we have in some of our live recordings that we have in our vast library here in the, uh, in the bunker that uh, houses the Tom Sumner Program studio. But uh, anyway, we are going to take a, uh, a short break and, uh, and go to Dublin and talk with Owen Colfer. I hope you'll stick around for that. He's uh, he's a fun guy with a great sense of humor. And then uh, also we're going to be, um, you'll want to stick around to start your weekend off early with M. Burns and members of All Day Monday. <music> Welcome back, everybody. Uh, my my guest this hour is the author of um, the second Fowl Twins adventure, which is a spinoff of the blockbuster Artemis Fowl series. And um, it's the book is called Deny All Charges. It features the Fowl Twins. The author is Owen Colfer. He joins me by phone. Owen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Nice to be here. Um, not to be too facetious, but uh, just out of curiosity, do uh, two two fouls make a right? <laughs> no, the, I think it's it has the opposite effect. Two fouls make it even more, even worse than it was. So uh, no, 
they don't they don't operate on the rules of science double negatives or so uh yeah we're at, we're out of luck there tom i'm afraid well before we we uh we get into um artemis's younger brothers miles and beckett um i i was just curious what got you started writing and and specifically for younger audiences um, like many writers for young people, I was a teacher. So I spent, I was 15 uh, years in middle school. And uh, I just found that um, storytelling was a great teaching method. So if I was, for example, doing a story, if I was doing a period in history, the Egyptians, I would tell a story about a boy whose dad worked on the pyramids and uh, and in that way, all the kids would be engaged, but also I could sneak in all the information that I wanted them to learn. And it, it, it was it's so effective as a teaching method that I used it a lot. And um, I was able to do the Irish uh, legends and mythology cycles in that way. And I, I wasn't happy with the books I could find. So I ended up cobbling together my own legends books and telling the stories uh, myself and uh, it was a really short hop from there to writing original stories so um, I started trying to get books published uh, when I was about 22 and um, because I would be telling these stories to the kids and uh, and it took me 12 more years to make it happen but luckily because I was still teaching I was still using the teaching method so I I knew the stories worked with kids, and I'd never lost hope that someday um, I would get published. But it was a long, it was a long road. And just out of curiosity, because you mentioned uh, Owen that that you um, wanted to tell the the Irish myths and tales and legends and so on, um, why is there a maverick troll in this story and not a leprechaun? Well, there is a leprechaun, but in the, the in the in the in my take on the mythology, leprechaun is just a job. So it's like uh, the LEP recon is is part. It's like the NYPD or LAPD. <laughs> it's 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 just a police department. Whereas trolls, I, I like to just throw chaos into a story, uh, where it's like just if you drop a little troll in there. It just all bets are off. You don't know what's going to happen. And, and he's like that, a very interesting character. Um, it's like we all have a friend like that who's great fun to hang around with, but you just don't know what he's going to do. Uh, <laughs> and he's a guy who never grows up. I mean, I'm 55 now, and I still have a friend, and he's exactly the same as he was when he was 17. Uh, oh, and you never fun. know what's going to happen. Sometimes, so, uh, And I think most people... So, sometimes I think I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's true if you don't have that friend then you are the guy yeah. so maybe, maybe i'm the guy too oh my goodness but that's so the troll is like based on this friend i have who is the very same he looks 55 but he acts 17 uh and uh he's just chaos and you can never whatever the worst idea is that's always his idea and so um uh, but it's great for it's great for a story because it just it means all bets are off. Uh, you never you don't know what's going to happen. So a troll is like that. You just pull the pin and you drop a troll in, and see what happens. And it's a great way to shake up the story. And you you have a fairy intern in this uh, 
in this book. And I couldn't help yeah. wondering, um, what does a fairy do when they complete their internship? Well, this particular fairy, she has trying to get into the LEP. So she is um, being sent on an ex. She's a specialist, so she's not yet a corporal. Uh, so she's been sent on overground to do a training exercise. And, of course, she gets uh, mixed up uh, with the Fowl Twins. So this this young um, pixel, pixie elf hybrid, which is called a pixel, um, is, is thrust into this world of humans and their plans. And she becomes the ambassador, if you like, to deal with the Fowl Twins because the fairy people don't know what to do with these guys either because they're just kids, but somehow they seem to be able to get into more trouble and then a battalion of commandos. So uh, they let they let them hold on to the, the their uh, intern, and she becomes their ambassador. So it's not really her career choice, but it's something she's stuck with at, for the moment. And they promised her that if she does this job, she might be able to join the proper police force at the end of it. And, you know, this is kind of a... Uh, a made-up world that includes fairies and and trolls. Um, does do you get to make up your own rules? You do. You do get to make up your own rules, and rules are really important because the the world has to work, uh, and everything inside that world has to obey those rules. Because if you don't have that, then there is no drama. If anybody can just do anything. Uh, for example, it's very important that the magic, there is magic, but it can't be limitless and it has to run out And uh, because otherwise the fairies could never lose and there would be no danger of them ever losing. So there's very strict rules applied to the, the, everyone's abilities. Uh, and even though it's uh, the world is, is very, very uh, unexpected, um, I very quickly lay, de- lay out what these rules are. So if our heroes are to win, they have to be very clever, they have to be very resourceful, and they have to do something that is within the rules of the world. Uh, Otherwise, they can't just at a critical point say, oh, I have this magical ability that I forgot to tell you about. I can transport us to another dimension. Uh, Therefore, um, there's never going to be any peril, and nobody is going to, no one is going to be worried about the safety of, of their favorite characters. More with author Owen Colfer straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. 
Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Hawaiians. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Sixties, the marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artist who made them famous. You're thrilled to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel, and who can ever forget this all-time classic... Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jeff's airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Do it today. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Owen Colfer straight ahead. What's it like to be at the receiving end of uh, some quite nasty dwarf sarcasm? Well, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a bit unfair <laughs> to pigeonhole the dwarves has been, but they're a very sarcastic nation. And uh, so they, they really lay it on thick and heavy. And it's actually a good education for our heroes because it toughens them up. Because when you've been at the receiving end of dwarf sarcasm, you can pretty much take sarcasm from humans as a matter of course. And it's it's a little bit like the big brother, little brother relationship. And I have an older son who's 23 now, and he is extremely sarcastic and always has been. And he <laughs> gave his little brother no mercy whatsoever. And my, his, as a consequence, my 17-year-old is, is pretty much able to go into a conversation with anybody because he's used to getting uh, belittled in a, an affectionate way by his, his older brother. And so I think that's what dwarf sarcasm does. It kind of toughens up 
the Fowl Twins so that they're able to converse with adults in their own world. And with that in mind, um, a couple of things come to mind, uh, Owen. And, and first, I'll 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 just uh, ask this one: What went into deciding to spin off a series with Artemis's younger brothers? Were they mentioned and frequent characters in the uh, in the Artemis uh, Fowl series? Yeah, they they came in, I think, in about book four or five. Uh, and then as the books progressed, uh, they became more and more popular and they got larger and larger roles. So when I finished the Artemis Fowl series, uh, I had been working on that off and on for about 15 years. And I really needed a break from that. Uh, and also the, the character of Artemis was had reached his destiny, if you like. He had gone from being the bad guy to being the good guy. So it was time for me to move away from him. Uh, and I didn't feel I would be doing him a service by going back. But I really liked the world. So I, just, I made a decision at the end of the series to um, take a break for four or five years. It ended up being seven years. Uh, and then I would come back with the, the Fowl Twins. And, and that is uh, that is what I did. Because even though I was tired of Leprechaun Land by the end of Artemis, I knew that it was my creation and I really wanted to go back to it. But I didn't want to go back when I was tired. I wanted to go back when I had energy and I was had, I was excited to do so, and that was that happened last year. So, um, for the last two years, I suppose I've been working on the twins and I'm really enjoying it. And is there is there a moral to each of these stories? There is a moral. There's always a moral, and I, I used to say no to that question. But then I realized, you know what, your own morality as a person will come through. And it's, it's, sometimes it's not an overt moral. Um, it's usually something about family values, uh, of, about not necessarily traditional family values, but just the bond between two brothers is very strong. In the second book in particular, I wanted to delve into what it means to be a brother and even more than that, what it means to be a twin and how... Uh, dependent twins are on each other. Uh, so I did a lot of research and reading about twins. Uh, and they, sometimes it seems that they share an almost supernatural bond. Uh, so I, I found that very interesting. Um, and in, in other books, there's uh, quite a, a, an environmental message. I think most of the Artemis Fowl books have an environmental message um, about the polar ice caps um, or about uh, radiation pollution. In northern Russia, there's an awful lot of things that you would come across that when you're planning for books like these that you can't believe are real. And uh, and that, I suppose, the downside is if I put them, I put them in Artemis Fowl books and people think, oh, that's not real because it's in an Artemis Fowl book. But uh, a lot of the stuff I write about is actually happening. Uh, one book was about uh, the extinction rates of endangered species and uh, people couldn't believe so many species would be extinct in 50 years more than half the species on Earth, they say, will be extinct in 50 years. So it's it's quite troubling, and I, I put that kind of thing in books. And at the moment, I'm doing a series of graphic novels with my friend Andrew Duncan, where we're examining the effects of various environmental challenges on the most vulnerable children in the world. So the first book was called Illegal, which was about which talked about the effects of the mass migration from Africa to Europe and how so many children are traveling unaccompanied. 
and the next book which is called Global will be about the effects of global warming on children living in uh, low-lying countries uh, for example in the Bay of Bengal where they're losing some places are losing like 10 meters of land a year so uh, there's all these things happening around the world that we feel uh, our audience would benefit from having a very balanced view on and because it's for the kids it's not political if you're 10 years old you're not part of any party you're just trying to get somewhere safe so uh that's how we're presenting it interesting and and when you talk about the bond between uh brothers um and especially twins that really gets uh examined when miles gets kidnapped in this story yeah, it's almost a supernatural uh, bond, uh, how Beckett can tell where Miles is and what direction he is. Now, I know that's probably not very re- realistic, but it is certainly a kind of a manifestation uh, of the bonds that and brothers and twins and sisters, of course, uh, feel for each other and how even though they might not agree about everything and they might not actually get on a lot of the time, underneath all of that, there's this deep, and enduring uh, love and respect for each other. Uh, and they have this understanding that even though they're not the same, they can still be function as a unit. And I, uh, so you can get two brothers, my kids, for example, who are completely opposite to each other, but still they can overcome that when they have to achieve something together. And because they can appreciate that, uh, you know, you can have different skills and different points of view, and it doesn't mean that you can't uh, cooperate. Now, you're in Dublin? That's right. Um, Do these stories, I I mentioned that uh, the Artemis Fowl series um, is a New York Times best-selling series. Um, Do these stories play differently in Ireland than they do in the States, or are kids kind of the same everywhere? I think to a certain extent, kids are, de- are, are the same everywhere. But I, there is a, a level of familiarity, I suppose, with the background and the kinds of characters that it makes it a little bit easier for Irish kids to jump on board straight away. Uh, sometimes uh, if you're other, other nationalities, it will take them a chapter or two just to get into the rhythm uh, of the jokes and the sarcasm and the... Uh, the pacing, but uh, Irish kids are kind of on board from chapter one. But it's not much of it. It's not much of a thing, really. It's maybe a few pages, ten pages in the difference. And once everyone is on board, then we're all on the same page. But uh, definitely, Irish kids would be used to these kinds of stories that involve various different kinds of fairies because they're from already familiar. They know what a troll is. They know what a sprite is. They know what a leprechaun is. So they can just dive straight in. Um, and with these, um, now this is a spin-off series from the Artemis Fowl series. Did, did that make it a little easier in starting a new series that it was a spin-off and, and takes place kind of in the same world? Yeah, it did. And I had to be careful there because I had to remember that even though I knew what this world was like and that the Artemis Fowl readers knew what this world was like, but most of the readers would be new because Artemis Fowl is 20 years old now at this stage. So I, I couldn't just presume that everybody knew what I was talking about when I mentioned this character or that institution. 
So I have to be careful, just as you would in any series, to build it slowly and not overload people with exposition or information. Now, the fact that that, uh, the Artemis Fowl books were a series and now the the Fowl Twins have a series uh, of their own, a spinoff, if you will, um, are the are the individual books? Do they stand alone, or in the process of creating the series, do you leave people hanging from one book to the next? No, I never, I never do that because <laughs> um, I know I, I know some people love that and they like that, but I hated that when I was young. If I was reading a series, and uh, when I was younger as well, books weren't as easy to get. And you might ha- you might have to wait a long time before I could get the, the sequel. So I, I followed the Ian Fleming method, which is every book is a is a separate story, and obviously there is a, a referral back to the. Um, there could be a couple references back to previous characters, but you could read the books in any order, uh, and it would be a complete story, and that story would have a conclusion that. Uh, would would be satisfying for you. So you can read any of the Artemis books or any of the uh, Twins books, and there you won't really miss out on anything. Um, hopefully, it will make you want to go and read the other books, but you won't be. You shouldn't be puzzled um, or surprised. And that's that's why I usually have a new um, villain in every book, so that uh, there are a couple of exceptions, but so that you can at least follow that villain from page one and you won't uh, have missed out on his or her evolution in in the series so uh, new characters in every book and then I just keep it's a bit like Star Trek you know you keep the episodes of Star Trek you keep all the characters on the bridge but then there are new um, there are there are new people for 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 every new reader to uh, kind of claim as their own so these are your people in your book and you can follow them to their conclusion and in doing that, um, then doesn't it um, create a little bit of a challenge for you, Owen, to um, make sure that um, you're you're really kind of introducing the world and the recurring characters every time? That is a challenge, and uh, that is actually quite difficult to do without. Uh, being boring, for example, uh, and repeating yourself, because you have to remember that a lot of the people will have read the last book and they will already know this information and you are uh, presenting it again. So what I like to do is at the start of a book, I do a catch-up. From But that catch-up is not just going to be a rote uh, regurgitation of facts. It's going to be couched in a very interesting, I hope, and humorous little prologue. Uh, so it will catch you up, but it will also make you laugh in its own right. And uh, that's something I've developed over the past 20 years uh, to something of an art form. So if you read the first two pages or three pages, um, it will give you a chuckle, but also it, it will uh, it will catch you up on what you've missed, and which shouldn't be too much, um, but uh, it, it should be enough that you can, once you finish that prologue, you can, Swagger forth with a certain amount of confidence into the main story. With the success of uh, of your many books, um, have you been able to become, as as all writers hope to, a full time writer? 
Yes, I've been a full-time writer now for uh, 20 years. Um, I I quit teaching in the just uh, in at Christmas uh, 1999. So I I entered 2000 as a full-time writer, which was great. I came into the new millennium uh, as a writer. It was it, it's a very, I'm very very fortunate that I can do that and. Um, I have my own little office, so I, I never forget how lucky I am. And I know how most writers need to have a, a main job, which I did for a long time, for nearly 20 years. So uh, so I'm, I'm very lucky. Uh, uh, I, I don't necessarily do any more writing now that I'm, that I'm a full-time writer, but I'm able to, I suppose, spend more time on planning uh, and research. So that, that's a real gift and a real boon. Um, I, I and I was going to ask if there was a period of time where you were, uh, you know, teaching full time and writing, and and how you found the time for that, how you balanced those things. Um, you know, some people get get caught in that trap and never really get out. Um, how, how did that play out for you? Well, I was very lucky uh, because um, I was caught in that trap, and I had been teaching and writing for about uh, uh, over 15 years. And we had a baby, my wife and I had a baby and Jackie, my wife has gone back to work. She had a new business. So I was teaching and then I would pick up the child and then I would be with Finn until his bedtime. And Jackie was home late. It was a new business and the writing wasn't really paying. I mean, I had some books published, but you know, they were published in Ireland and it's a very small country and, so it was getting to the point where I, Jackie and I sat down. I said, something has to give, and it'll have to be the writing because I, I can't keep getting up at 5 a.m. and doing two hours of writing before the baby wakes up. It was just, uh, <laughs> I was just exhausted. So, uh, and a lot of writers do that all the time. I mean, I think teaching is probably a good job for writers because you do get that two months in the summer or six weeks so uh, most teachers I know would get a job on a building site or something, construction, but I decided I would write. So for, for many years, I wrote a book in the summer. Uh, and if you really apply yourself, you can do it. How, how did so you... I said to my wife... Um, Go ahead. I would, I would plan it all year, uh, and then I, I would, and then I would uh, get going in the summer and... I would try and do 2,000 words a day, and uh, and by the end of it, I would have a book. And I mean, in in reality, it wasn't the best way to do it because very often the books weren't that great. But uh, um, but that's the only way I could do it. And I said it to my wife at the beginning of one summer. You know, I don't think I'm going to do it this year because uh, you, you know the baby's here, and I, we can't really afford to get a childminder for the baby during the day. So. Um, I'm going to give up writing for a couple of years. And uh, she said, well, why don't you just do it for this summer? And, and uh, instead of going to your small publisher, why don't you get an agent? And if that doesn't work, then we can talk again. So that's what I did. And I got an agent and uh, that was for the Artemis Fowl book. And uh, she took that book and uh, changed our lives. And I was able to quit teaching the following summer and or sorry, on Christmas, sorry. And uh, become a full-time writer. So it was, but it was very close. I was very close to to giving up. Uh, so luckily, I had that conversation with Jackie. Was that when and how you hopped the pond? Yeah, I mean that was um, 
I went to London to see my agent and uh, she signed me up and uh, in three months she had sold it to the UK and the US and in, uh, the movie rights and eventually it went to the, I think it's in 44 countries now and 44 languages so uh, that was a real game changer for me and uh, it, it allowed me to just concentrate on the writing since then. When you're writing um, something that's as as witty as uh, as your books are, and and as fun and sometimes tongue in cheek, how do those translate into other languages? Is that kind of tricky? Yeah, it, it seems to be tricky, and it seems to some languages are better than others, uh, and it, it depends very much on the individual. Uh, translator in that but publishers are very good at matching up uh, a type of book with a, a translator uh, I know in a lot of countries I have the same translator as Harry Potter for example because that they're also humorous books uh, with magical elements and that seems to work really well I mean I think for me it works really well and uh, I'm, sometimes you hear people come kids come to me and say you know it really doesn't work the if they've read the book in English and their own language, they would say it doesn't really work in our language. The translator changed a lot of things, and uh, so you, that is a worry. But and a lot of most of the big markets, for example, France, Germany, Italy, uh, apparently it's been really well translated by uh, authors, and uh, it's worked really well. So it's something I can't really worry about because I don't. I can't, there's nothing really I can do about that, and I don't understand where the. <laughs> how I would even begin, so I just have to trust that my publishers are going to pick the right person. No, nobody ever comes to you, your publishers or agents, and say, well, you got to change this around a little bit because, you know, it won't play here or there. <laughs> <laughs> they probably just do it. They probably don't even tell me. I mean, they probably just do it. But... That won't oh, translate yeah. well. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, Owen, it's it's delightful talking with you, but we just have a couple of minutes you left, too. and I always want to make sure and and um, let guests um, share with listeners where they can find out more about you and about all of your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. Um, my website is just uh, owencolfer dot com. That's E O I N. C-O-L-F-E-R, and uh, you can find a little bit about me, uh, something about all my books, some videos of interviews I've done if you want to see what I look like, um, and uh, links, obviously, to the books. So it's everything is on there, and uh, it's a great resource, actually, because I can upload uh, anything interesting that happens or anything I'm working on or any news. So it's all there and gathered in, in one place. Um, so it's a nice... If you if you have a thirty minutes to spare, and you want to find a little bit more about the, the leprechauns and fairies of Ireland, that's a good place to start. Um, Owen, you you listed off some things that you were uh, that you were working on going forward. But how long does it take to to get one of these books out? And and when is uh, book three in the Foul Twins series uh, due? Uh, book three will be due in October 2021. So I have just started that book. Uh, well, I've, I've, I'm a few months in, so uh, I probably will finish that around March. 
uh, and then it will go to the editors, the editors, and the and they will take it from there. So, uh, but we've already started on the cover art. It's a long. I'm actually fast tracked. Usually, it usually to take a lot longer than that, but I'm kind of locked into a schedule. So they have uh, they put the, the time aside, and and I suppose because I've been working with Disney for so long that they. They, I suppose they hope, uh, they rely on me to have deliver the book when I say I will, which I usually do, and uh, that it, there won't be too much work to be done on it. So hopefully um, we can continue our long tradition of delivering the books on time. Well, Owen, thank you so much for spending this time uh, with me this morning. I really appreciate it. And, um... uh, oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Anytime. And best of luck, and and also best of luck with the uh, with the movie, the Artemis Fowl movie. Thank you, Tom. I hope you enjoy it. If you have Disney Plus, you can tune in. Um, it's it's a nice movie. Uh, so uh, it really makes Ireland look fantastic. A lot of it was filmed in Ireland, and the country looks amazing. Great. Well, best of luck to you, and um, thanks again. Thanks, Tom. Bye now. Bye bye. That was uh, Owen Colfer. He is the author of the New York Times bestselling Artemis Fowl series, which was uh, adapted into a um, major motion picture from the Walt Disney Studios, uh, released on Disney Plus this past June. Um, he's he's written uh, many books, but um, of course we know about the Artemis Fowl series and now the spinoff, the Fowl Twins series. And uh, book two is out now called, let me make sure I get the title right here, Deny All Charges is the name of the second book in the Foul Twins series. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old Fashioned Radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular 
$10 doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as... America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Gentlemen, who are we scheduled to interview next? I've been waiting around now for three weeks. (laughs) Of course, our apologies. Our next guest is the junior senator from New York. Senator, first we'd like to welcome you here today. We hope this will be a happy interview. No, well, I mean, that's, I don't think that that would be, I doubt if it will be. (laughs) (laughs) Senator, as the father of nine children and a devoted family man, we'd like to thank you for taking the time out to come and speak with us here. I'm delighted to see uh, so many grown-ups all in one room. (laughs) Uh, 
continue the questioning with Mr. Swayze. Well, Senator, I wonder if we might switch for just a moment and keep the door open. Well, sir, we normally close the door for silence, you understand. I'm in favor of keeping that door open. <laughs> All right, we'll keep the door open. Thank you very much. Senator, as an out-of-stater, some people have questioned your motives for coming into New York. I grew up here in the state of New York. Well then, obviously it does have meaning for you. What exactly is New York to you and your wife, Ethel? Something that we will hand over to our children. <laughs> Mr. St. Ledger. Uh, now that you're a senator, you must have some very, very exciting and vital things you plan on doing for the people of New York. No, I have no plans. Surely, surely, Senator, you have some ideas. I just have no plans. <laughs> well, what do the people of New York need? Well, I think you'd have to ask them. <laughs> Senator, if we, can, uh, if we can look ahead for just a moment, uh, do you think your brother Teddy will one day be president? If he wants to uh, join me and where I'm going, I'd be glad to have him along. <laughs> said, uh, when would you like to be president? Now. Well, I think you know it can't be done that quickly. 1965, 1966? No, obviously you can't run for president until 1968. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> happened to believe that. Didn't you pay him a visit just recently? A few days ago. Did you have a nice friendly chat with the president? I showed up and he had guards to keep me out. <laughs> we understood, sir, that on a recent tour of the western United States, you visited Mount Rushmore. I did, yes. With the great heads of Washington, Jefferson, and Lincoln carved into the mountainside. That's correct. And as you stood there gazing up at that monument, did any particular thoughts come to mind? I'd like to be a part of that. Senator, many thanks for being with us this evening. Thank you very much. Incidentally, due to your heavy schedule, we almost took it upon ourselves to cancel this interview entirely. I would have been delighted. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. a vaccine that's coming it's ready it's going to be announced within weeks and it's going to be delivered we have 
uh, Operation Warp Speed, which is the military is going to distribute the vaccine. I was in the hospital. I had it. And I got better, and now they say I'm immune. Whether it's four months or a lifetime, nobody's been able to say that. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing, investing in rapid testing. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe. He says that we're, uh, you know, we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it. You folks home will have an empty chair at the kitchen table this morning. What I would say is I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. It's his ineptitude that caused the virus, caused the country to have to shut down in large part. We have the best testing in the world by far. That's why we have so many cases. Let you know, someday you're going to have to explain why did you get three and a half. I never got any money from Russia. I don't get money from Russia. The foreign countries are paying you a lot. Russia's paying you a lot. China's paying you a lot. And your hotels and all your businesses all around the country, all around the world. I get treated worse than the Tea Party got treated because I have a lot of people in there. Deep down in the IRS, they treat me horribly. Just show us. Stop playing around. You've been saying for four years you're going to reduce your taxes. His buddy, Rudy Giuliani, he's being used as a Russian pawn. He's being fed information that is Russian, that is not true. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. I have not had, a, the only guy made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China. And what's he do? He embraces guys like the thugs like in North Korea and, and, uh, and the Chinese president and Putin and others. And he pokes his finger in the eye of all of our friends, all of our allies. I just gave $28 billion to our farmers. Taxpayers' China, money. It's what? Taxpayers' money. Didn't no, come no, from yeah, China. you know the taxpayers, it's called China. Obamacare, come up with a brand new, beautiful health care. The Democrats will do it because there'll be tremendous pressure on them. And we might even have the House by that time. And I think we are going to win the House. OK, you'll see. But I think we're going to win the House. Oh, he's never come up with a plan. I guess we're going to get the pre-existing condition plan the same time we get the infrastructure plan. And the Biden care proposal will, in fact, provide for that affordable health care, lower premiums. What we're going to do is going to cost some money. It's going to cost over $750 billion over 10 years to do it. And they're going to have lower premiums. You can buy into the better plans, the cheaper plans, lower your premiums, deal with unexpected billing, and have your drug prices drop significantly. Being the president, I think health care is not a privilege, it's a right. Everyone should have the right to have affordable health care. These 500-plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. This is the first president in the history of the United States of America that anybody seeking asylum has to do it in another country. That's never happened before in America. We have to send ICE out and Border Patrol out to find them. We would say, come back in two years, three years, we're going to give you a court case. Yeah. They never come back. Only the really, I hate to say this, but those with the lowest IQ, they the fact of the matter is there is institutional racism in America. And we have always said we've never lived up to it, that we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created equal. But guess what? We have never, ever lived up to it. But we've always constantly been moving the needle further and further to inclusion. You keep talking about all these things you're going to do and you're going to do this. But you were there just a short time ago, and you guys did nothing. We did. You know, Joe, I, I ran because of you. 
I ran because of Barack Obama. I am the least racist person. I can't even see the audience because it's so dark. But I don't care who's in the audience. I'm the least racist person in this room. To the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas. Excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do give it to solar and wind. Success is going to bring us together. I represent all of you, whether you voted for me or against me. Oh, just some sound bites from last night's presidential debate in case you missed it. And uh, up next, a little tease of uh, next hour's guests all day Monday. November's calling at the door. My feet are aching. My eyes are sore. Uh, two souls on fire. Can't put it out now. Flooding through like a river without a drought. Uh, you held me close. Right by your heart And I'll hold you always You're my life start And I November's calling At the door My feet are aching My eyes are sore Two souls on fire Can't put it out now Flooding through like a river Without a drought And you held me closely Right by your heart And I'll hold you always You're my life star And I Your life's gift, but you're my gift too. And I, two souls on fire, can't put it out. I, flooding through like a river without a drought. I, you held me closely, right by your heart. And I'll hold you always. You're my life star. And I, my life star. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 